Hi, welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids who love the Lord and love each other. I absolutely love young moms, and it's my passion to encourage you and provide you with tips and tools to make your journey easier. Thanks for joining us today. Today's session is having a meaningful Independence Day celebration. But before we begin, let me remind you that our podcast can be found on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, Google, Apple Podcasts, and multiple other platforms as well. So welcome to part two of Independence Day. If you didn't catch our podcast last week, you might want to tune in because I tell you a lot of background information about the signers, the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. And last week, I told you what they believed about Jesus Christ. Many of them wrote that in their last will and testament, and I share some of that with you. Also, it is all available in our book, For You They Signed, which is about the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. So I have some more exciting information. This week, we're going to share some of the sacrifices that these guys made for our freedom and things we need to teach our kids about. Independence Day has been one of my favorite holidays for years, and I've been looking for ways to make each one of our holiday celebrations reflect the true meaning of the holiday. John Adams said when writing to his wife Abigail about the vote for independence, he said the second day of July, 1776, which is when the vote actually took place, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. Now we celebrate July 4th because that's when it was announced to the public. But July 2nd was known as the Day of Deliverance to the Founders. And that's the day that they thought would, it would be celebrated. So last time we ended with some of the things that the signers sacrificed for our freedom. We had said that when they signed their signature to the Declaration of Independence, King George had a price on their heads. He was after them. So I want to share with you some of what these guys sacrificed for our freedom. Richard Stockton of New York was taken prisoner by royalists. He was dragged from his bed at night, and he was treated with indignity in a common prison in want of basic necessities. His health was destroyed, his property was destroyed, along with his library, one of the best in the country at that time. George Reed of Delaware, he's a great story of a close escape. The British had captured Wilmington, and he was attempting to move his family safely by crossing the Delaware River by barge but the barge ran aground. He knew the British had dispatched an armed barge in search of him, so he presented himself as a country gentleman returning to his home. The Royal Navy actually ended up assisting him by carrying his baggage and helping his wife, mother, and children up the steep bank. They didn't realize until months later that they'd let one of the most hunted men in the middle colonies slip through their fingers. Edward Rutledge of South Carolina was taken prisoner when the British seized Charleston. At the time, he was serving as captain of an artillery battalion. He was sent to Augustine, Florida, where they held the really dangerous rebels. He was released a year later to find that his mother had also been held by the British for her goodwill to the American cause. 
Robert Morris of Pennsylvania had a very lucrative shipping industry. He personally gave more than $2 million. This is back in the 1776, you know, 1700s. That is a lot of money. He personally financed Washington's crossing the Delaware and Yorktown from his own pocket. The story is told how George Washington used to rely on Robert Morris to raise funds to pay his men. Morris was walking from his home to his counting house one day when he, was met, when he met a wealthy Quaker friend who asked him what the news was. Robert said, the most important news I have is that I require a certain sum and you must let me have it. Your security is to be my note and my honor. The money from this loan was used by Washington in, his winning, in winning his surprise attack over the Hessians on the day after Christmas in 1776. Robert's mansion was partially destroyed by the British. He was never repaid by the country, and he ended up in debtor's prison, but he never complained about the decisions he had made. Thomas Nelson led the Virginia brigades of about 3,000 men at Yorktown. The British soldiers had taken refuge in Nelson's mansion. During the siege, he observed that while the Americans had poured their shot and shells thick and fast into every part of the town, they seemed to be carefully avoiding firing in the direction of his house. When he inquired why his house was being spared, he was informed that it was out of personal regard to him. He at once begged them not to make any difference on that account. And at once a well-directed fire was opened upon it. He blew up his mansion, all his possessions. And Rick and I went to Yorktown a couple of years ago, and his uncle, who was also a Thomas Nelson, his house remained, but you can see cannonballs that are in the brick of his home, even to this day, where it was shelled by the British. It's so fascinating. Caesar Rodney, he's one of my favorite. He sacrificed all hope of a cure for his skin cancer. There were, they were working on cures in Britain, but he sacrificed not going there because he thought so much of the cause for independence. So he is famous for his long night ride to cast his vote for independence. He was absent from Congress because he was an officer and he was leading a campaign to squelch a loyalist uprising. He returned from home at night feeling rather ill from his cancer when he had a message that Thomas McKean, who was also a delegate from Delaware, and Thomas McKean said, you are needed at the State House in the morning to break the deadlock vote for independence. He left 10 minutes later. He didn't even change clothes. He rode for 80 miles on horseback through a driving thunderstorm. He reports that he never remembers a storm so fierce. He stopped only to change horses. The next morning, Thomas McKean was pacing the floor as the session was about to begin, watching and realizing that the fate of this resolution depended on one sick man. John Hancock, the president, was about to open the session when everyone heard the sound of horse hooves pounding the cobblestone pavement. The door opened and in came Caesar Rodney, all wet and bedraggled in his three-corner hat. When Delaware was called upon, he pulled himself to his feet and said, as I believe the voice of my constituents and of all sensible and honest men is in favor of independence, and my own judgment concurs, I vote for independence. Then he sunk to his chair in exhaustion, but his one vote had made the difference. Oliver Walcott, I love his story. He served in the Connecticut militia as well as being a member of the Continental Congress. He happened to be in New York when George Washington ordered the Declaration of Independence to be publicly read to his troops on July 9th. 
The New York Patriots were so excited, they pulled down the statue of King George. So Oliver Wolcott loaded up the broken pieces of the headless statue on a wagon, and he took it home to Connecticut, where he lived. There his wife, his daughter, a son, and neighbor ladies melted it down and made over 42,000 bullets. His 11-year-old daughter, Marianne, made 10,140 all by herself. Walcott then returned to Congress to add his signature to the Declaration of Independence and was made a general. He later used many of those bullets to fight against the British and to win at the Battle of Saratoga. That's so cool. Arthur Middleton of South Carolina was captured and imprisoned in St. Augustine for a year. His plantation was ravished. His valuable collection of paintings was stolen and rifled. Whatever the British couldn't sell, they mutilated. Carter Braxton of Virginia virtually saw every merchant ship he owned sunk or destroyed by the British. His mansion, Cherokee, was destroyed by fire. Although he lost his wealth and he was forced to sell his land, he continued to serve in the Virginia legislature. William Ellery of Rhode Island, his Newport home, was burned. William Paca of Maryland poured thousands of his own dollars into clothing for the American soldiers. Thomas McKean of Delaware recalled to John Adams that he was hunted like a fox during the Revolution, and at one time he was compelled to move his family five times in a few months. Francis Lewis of New York, the British galloped toward Lewis's home so he could get the hanging he deserved. They were angry to find him not at home, so they took vengeance on his elderly wife. They wantonly burned his home, destroyed his property, confiscated his silver, his clothing, his china, his food, and his drink. They piled up his extensive library and burned it in the presence of his wife. Then, with undue brutality, they seized his aging wife. She was held in closely confined quarters in prison with not even a bed to lie upon or even a change of clothes for several months. This aging woman slept on the floor of an unheated prison with a slop bucket at her side. She was held for two years before George Washington was finally able to release her on a prisoner exchange, but her health was irreparably damaged by the effects of the imprisonment, and she died soon after her release. Oh boy, I could go on and on. If Philip Livingston, all his business interests fell into the hands of the British. His mansion on Duke Street was seized by the British and turned into a barracks for enemy troops. His 150,000-acre country estate was seized by the British and turned into a naval hospital, but he continued to, to contribute his dwindling fortune to Congress for the war effort. He died less than two years after the revolution from the toll it had taken on his health. So many of these guys, you know, the stress that they were under put stress on their bodies. William Williams and his wife opened their home to American soldiers and French allies. He sacrificed his fortune to purchase supplies repeatedly and went door through door throughout his district, raising funds, collecting banquet, bank blankets, and lead for the American soldiers. He collected more than 3,000 blankets and large quantities of lead by removing the lead weights from clocks with permission. But he held a reputation for being scrupulously honest in his dealings. He seldom got to bed before 2 a.m., because he was working tirelessly for freedom. One night, while he was housing two members of the Committee of Safety in his home, they discussed the dangers of the time should they fall into the hands of the British. Mr. Williams remarked that he would probably be hung for signing the Declaration and writing many public papers. One of the gentlemen observed that he himself had neither signed the Declaration or written anything in opposition to the Crown, so therefore was secure from the gallows. 
To this, Mr. Williams instantly replied, then sir, you ought to be hanged for not doing your duty. So dedicated were these men that they were willing to risk everything for our freedom. Do you see why we need to teach our kids about these men? These are such wonderful examples for our kids. I'm just going to tell you about one example. There's many that I could tell you about, but a marvelous instance of the hand of God in behalf of the colonists. It happened at Dorchester Heights. At this time, the British were occupying Boston, 10,000 strong. Washington felt compelled to fortify Dorchester Heights to try to drive the British away. During the night, the soldiers carried bales of hay, drove wagons with fortifications up the hill in darkness and utmost quiet. It was a hazy night, very hazy, down at the foot of the hill, that is. But once the men got to the top, it was crystal clear so they could see to build their fortifications. In the morning, when the British general awoke, he was stunned to see the colonial army occupied the hill. He was reported to have said, the American army got more done in one night than my men would have gotten done in six months. Still, he prepared his cannons on his ships to take the hill. The colonists had no cannons at this point. That night, a natural disaster occurred, just happened to be in favor of the American troops. A terrible storm blew up such as no one had ever seen. It blew the British ships into disarray. It broke their masts. In the morning, the general saw that his ships were wrecked, and he knew by the time he got things repaired, the Americans would have had time to have a real advantage. Reverend William Gordon, a local preacher, later said, when I heard in the night how amazingly strong the winds blew, I pleased myself with the reflection that the Lord might be working delivery for us and thus prevent the diffusion of human blood. It proved to be so. Without the shedding of a single drop of blood, the British quickly withdrew their 10,000 soldiers from the city of Boston on March 17, 1776. And that victory at Dorchester Heights gave such confidence to the Americans to help them pursue. So there's so many instances where God worked in their behalf. So my handout for you guys this week is signers of the Declaration cards. And there's one for each of the 56 signers. If you wish, you can use these at your Independence Day celebration. What we do, we invite a bunch of people to our home. We have a big cookout. And then after we eat, we will, I will give each one of our guests um, one of these cards. On the cards are either what a signer believed about Jesus Christ or what he sacrificed for our freedom. And I will put one of them in the hands of each one of our guests, and we'll go around and have each one read. And, you know, we have had people say, wow, I never knew this. This is amazing. You know, it, it's something that we all need to know, not just our kids. You know, we can uh, teach other families, too, by having a celebration for Independence Day that really puts forth the true significance of what Independence Day meant. We also, I'll have one of my sons read the speech that Patrick Henry gave to the signers, urging them to sign the document, even if it was with the last drop of their blood. That speech is in the appendix of For You They Signed. One of our sons will read the Declaration of Independence. We do that every year. You know, why did we break from Great Britain? It was not in rebellion. People need to know this. Then we honor those who are attending who are veterans or current members of the armed forces. 
often our younger children will put on a parade. Um, sometimes we use the soundtrack of take your hat off when the flag goes by. That was, I think you can still get that digitally, but it was a great CD for the kids to march and parade with. Sometimes I will pass out CDs to all the kids. My husband Rick records things and he recorded stories of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and we'll pass that out to kids who come to our cookout. The kids dress up in patriotic costumes and carry the flag and have a parade one year and we will give you the link to this in our show notes. I had the kids learn some of the exact words of the signers of the Declaration when they signed the Declaration of Independence and the kids dressed up. We got wigs, we got costumes, we got glasses and the kids signed dressed up like King George and John Hancock and Caesar Rodney and the kids acted out the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It's adorable, you can look at it in the show notes and you might wanna do that with your kids. You know, kids learn something so much better when they actually have to act it out. And that was a very fun year that we did that, I'd love to do it again. Also, Rick will read the story of Independence Day, which I gave you in last week's show notes, the freebie for last week, the story from the holiday book. He'll read that to the kids. Then sometimes we'll do foot races, sack races. Maybe one year we had a pinata for the kids. Um, and then we'll watch the fireworks. But that's, that is our celebration. That's how we do it. So to be helpful to you, you know, you can access this freebie and you can pass out the words of the signers and their, what they sacrificed for our freedom to your guests as well. So I hope you found that helpful. And again, it is so important that we teach our kids these truths, that we teach them to honor these men. If you get, for you they signed, it comes with a free ebook that has coloring pages for the kids so that they can color the signers of the, of the Declaration of Independence hang them on your fridge or frame them so they can learn what they look like and learn to recognize them and learn to honor these men who sacrificed so that we can live in a land of freedom. You know, it is so important, it's always been important, but we've got so many people attacking our freedom and attacking the foundations of how our country was started. So it's even more important in this day and age for you to teach your kids the truth so that they will be armed to go into the public square. And soon I hope to do another podcast where I bring a couple of my sons in and we talk about what you can do as a family to get involved in the process, to engage the culture, and to help change the culture and bring it back to its godly roots. In the meantime, I wish all of you a great Independence Day. Thanks for joining us. And remember, as always, whenever you take time teaching your kids the Word of God, you are not wasting time. The Word of God never returns void. Thanks for joining us today, and happy Independence Day.